Welcome to MBA in a Day, a brief, deep, and easy to understand place to get and apply important business concepts and principles, the same that are taught in top-tier MBA programs. I'm Professor Strausser, and in the 25 years that I've been teaching in elite MBA programs, I've noticed folks like doctors, attorneys, engineers, scientists, nonprofit executives, small business people, entrepreneurs, folks that are already well-educated, already smart, but may not have had the kind of business training that they need to be successful in their business or practice. So whether you're listening to this in your car, while commuting to or from work, on a plane, at the gym, on the beach, or just want to learn about business, let's get started with this episode's exploration of critical business concepts. So if you want to be successful as an innovator, one of the things that's helpful is to change the scenery, think out of the office. Whenever I was confronted with something problematic and I had to come up with something different and I was in my teaching days where I would be driving to the campus, you know, three or four times a week, I normally take one specific route of different streets to get to the campus. When I was trying to think of something new or different, I would change the streets to drive on. What that would do is then I would notice a, um, a billboard with a word on it, or I'd see a building with a name on it, and it would trigger a new way of thinking. But if I kept going that same route, it becomes rather patterned, and you don't notice things quite as much. So the idea of getting out of the office is a, is a good one. You also want to be able to do innovative things for your organization that fit with your organization. It's much riskier if we're being innovative and doing something really different. So the question is, does it fit within the organizational context? If you think about innovation, there are really four kind of basic ways that organizations can get advantage in innovation. They can get advantage for innovation if they are serving a market very well And their innovation is really developing new things for that market because they understand that market. They're more likely to come up with new things that are appropriate to that market rather than trying to seek different markets. We can also leverage technology for innovation. So once we have a certain technology under our belt, how about applying it to other things? I think An example of that would be Amazon. When Amazon first came on the scene, they had developed a e-commerce platform for selling books, and they did books pretty well. They got that figured out. They got the online part done. They got the physical part of books done. And so it was not that much of a leap for them to apply that same technology to other products. And so today... Amazon is ubiquitous in all kinds of products that have, in one way or another, leveraged the technology, the underlying technology that was part of their original innovation. We can also innovate based on our talent. If we are good at something, we have good people working for us, we can apply that talent, perhaps in developing other products and services. Also, we can leverage for innovation if we have a cost advantage. 
if we, based on relationship we have a supplier or a better, cheaper way of doing something, we can leverage those costs and come up with new products or services based on our cost advantage. Another thing we have to think about is whether or not the timing is right. When I see this, I think about when I was a grad student at University of Michigan, I was working in a uh, educational technology lab, and this was in the mid-90s, and the Apple had just really come on the scene. It was getting a little bit of traction, and uh, somebody walked in the lab with this thing that looked like a kind of like a paperback book, and uh, it was pretty cool because it was a calendar, electronic calendar, an address book, it had a little place that you could use a stylus and you know make some notes, and it was called a Newton. It was made by Apple. It failed as a product, um, and the timing was not right at that time. If you fast forward today and you look at an iPad, there's a remarkable similarity to what I remember as the Newton, except it's much thinner. But the basics of the Newton certainly carry forward into that product that ultimately was and has been successful. If we want to innovate, we also have to understand that failure is more likely. That the more we try new things, there is also this, I would call it, opportunity for failure. And an organization has to be willing to accept a certain amount of failure if it is to be very innovative. Another thought about innovation is that very often it needs to happen kind of quietly, even within an organization, because we all, as humans, have some trepidation when changes in the air and new ways of doing things. And so very often a innovation project takes place away from the corporate uh, mothership. Relatively little innovation takes place in company headquarters. And so what we see over the last many decades is this idea of a skunkworks. Skunkworks is a term that developed in the Cold War when uh, the U.S. was developing new weapon systems, trying to keep up with the uh, Soviets, and in order to deliver on a very important contract that had a very condensed delivery schedule, the defense contractor and the project manager decided to move out of the traditional place that these kinds of systems were developed in find this old broken down warehouse and set up a little shop with some key engineers and folks and work under, away from the oversight of the, of the mothership. And by doing that, uh, credited, they credited that with being able to deliver this weapon systems, uh, not only on time, but uh, early. We think about innovation, we also can think about it either as radical or incremental. So if you look back in time before we even had rubber-tired automobiles, gas-powered automobiles, we had horse-drawn carts, and most cities would have a pretty well-used system of cart paths. And when it came time to change the transportation system from animal-driven to motor-driven, the question was, do we build 
a super highway that is very different from the cart path. So do, do we just pave the cart path? The cart path was often a very efficient way of getting from point A to point B, but it was constrained. And so building a super highway, you could go out maybe a little bit further out and obtain big swaths of, of land and build five, ten lanes, whereas a cart path could only handle one or two lanes. So a fundamental question when it comes time to innovate. One of the companies highly associated with innovation is IDEO. And IDEO has really been a leader in developing user-based, user-understandable innovation. IDEO approaches their role in innovation from a very diverse, eclectic team of different perspectives. Uh, in some of the writings, they talk about the 10 personas of innovation. It takes 10 different types of people involved, 10 different kinds of skills, ranging from the builder, somebody who actually builds something, to Interestingly, anthropology, where anthropologists are trained in observation and how people actually do things. So if you are a, an ideal client, very likely they will be sending GoPros to potential customers and asking them to video their daily routine and understand some of the problems from a very granular level that IDEO has been asked to help an organization try to solve. This is being brought to you by MBA in a Day 2.0. Why spend years and $50,000 when you can get the recently updated classic business bestseller with easy to understand business principles and concepts, the same as those taught in top tier MBA programs. Listeners to this broadcast can save $5 off the $19.95 retail price by going to mbaintheday.com and entering the code MBA 2.0. Innovation isn't always pretty, so it starts with a prototype of some type. And so some of the innovation over the innovations over the years have looked like real Rube Goldberg products and services, or products mostly. So we have a water soaking gun, the super soaker, which is really this um, sort of patched together bunch of PVC pipe, two liter soda bottle and a valve that originally was supposed to regulate water flow. And because it failed at that, the inventor noticed how far the water shot when the valve was open, and so converted that failure as a valve into the basics of this you know, wonderful toy that uh, has endured for many, many decades. But if you look at the first Atari, it looks like just a jumble of um, transistors and wires and things like that. Yet that prototype allowed Atari to advance its design. The first Apple was built on a piece of plywood with a kind of a motherboard, a keyboard, and looked pretty primitive 
as a uh, forerunner of the product we know today. During one summer in uh, Aspen, I noticed this. Uh, there was a bicycle on a stand. Uh, a lot of trainers use that, uh, stationary trainer. But the bicycle was also hooked up to a blender. And so the rider could blend a margarita while exercising as a kind of a dual form of exercise. And the University of Michigan in the 90s, uh, I first saw the innovation called the um, Shotsky, which is a series of shot glasses embedded in a ski and um, consumed by three or more at a time uh, using the Shotsky. Pretty cool. There is also the notion of innovation that relates to being the first mover, the importance of being the first to market. What I recall from my youth was the rather unfortunate introduction of a passenger jet. During World War II, the jet engine was developed and then later perfected. And though it was mostly military, it eventually migrated to use in uh, passenger plane design, which was heralded as a huge improvement, obviously, because you could get places much faster. So an aircraft company in Great Britain, the de Havilland, well-respected, very well-respected as a uh, manufacturer and developer of aircraft in aeronautics, built the first-ever passenger jet called the Comet. And it was debuted, and unfortunately, very early in its use, the Comet uh, had some serious imperfections and had a series of crashes that, when evaluated, uh, failure analysis on that plane noted that the aeronautical engineering of the wings and the fuselage was such that there was no ability for natural movement and vibration during flight. And just like if you took a paperclip and you bend it back and forth several times, the paperclip will come apart due to mental fatigue. Similarly, the wings as attached to the fuselage not being able to flex much, uh, eventually fatigued, and that was the source of the malfunction. As second mover, or later mover, the Boeing company was able to engineer into their fuselage and wind, wing design ability of, to flex. So early passengers on a 707 would look out the window and would be astonished to see the wings outside kind of flapping ever so slightly, but nonetheless, the ability for those wings to flex uh, reduced the metal fatigue that was the, um, the flaw in the original passenger jet design. So takeaway here is that sometimes you can be a fast follower and learn from the first mover and improve based on the kind of going to school that you have from the first mover. So we also can think about innovation as the ability to pivot. Again, going back to wartime, there were a couple of brothers in Michigan who saw the need for moldable splints to be used on the battlefield. They had developed a process for molding plywood 
so that using their pet process, they could take a piece of plywood and mold it into a splint that could accommodate certain limbs. And it was used very successfully. But when the war was over, there wasn't much market for this form of splint. And so they kind of looked at each other and said, well, how else could we use this innovation of molding plywood? The Eames brothers, E-A-M-E-S, if you look them up, look up the Eames chair, and you'll see that that was a very early innovation. It was a pivot, and that Eames chair is in the Museum of Modern Art, uh, has been a um, an iconic look, and developed a whole new way of uh, making things out of wood. We can't rely on just a charismatic few. Innovation is really something that has to pervade throughout the organization. And importantly, it starts at the top. Innovation has to be something that is valued from the top down. Innovation is something that everybody's involved with. Very little happens in headquarters. And the argument is that really much more innovation takes place at the margins of an organization. That is, at the edges. Because what happens at the edge of an organization, in a branch office, in a sales office? That's where people in a company interact with customers and they interact with the environment in a much more realistic sense than a lot of people in the home office. So a lot of very important innovation takes place from the edges of the organization into the main part of the organization. As an organization, you also have to be able to reward innovation and not punish failure. So the F word, a failure, uh, it's tolerated, acknowledged. It's not encouraged necessarily. But when it happens, it's understood that that is really part of the whole innovation process. And that innovation is really considered part of the overall DNA of the organization. Thank you for listening to this episode of MBA in a Day. Why spend years and $50,000 when you can get the recently updated classic business bestseller with easy-to-understand business principles and concepts, the same as those taught in top-tier MBA programs? For listeners to this broadcast, you can save $5 off the 1995 retail price by going to mbaanaday.com and entering the code MBA 2.0.